comforts me. Many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again for the Lord sustains me. I'm not afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. Rise up, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. This is the word of God. It's absolutely true and it's given to us in love. And the Psalms basically they are deeply emotional prayers. And I think we modern people often have a bit of pride that we're really into emotional intelligence and emotional honesty, unlike maybe the t- traditional cultures that have gone before us. But I think the Psalms are probably a bit way ahead of us, actually. And, uh, you know, even in verse 7, for you strike all my enemies on the tree, you break the teeth of the wicked. There's quite a lot of anger in there, isn't there? And you kind of, I, I kind of squirm a bit sometimes when I read the Psalms and read how emotionally honest people actually are. In de- well, particularly David, but the, the rest of the Psalms as well. And the emotions are hot, they're intense, aren't they? And they make us uncomfortable. And I think the Psalms give us a unique approach to emotions. So one, one approach to emotions is to stuff them down, pretend they're not there. And we're, we can be uncomfortable with these, with these strong emotions, and so we need to get control of them quickly. And I don't know any of you peop- men, people um, <laughs> do that here. Um, and, and then another way is, um, uh, is to kind of vent them and rant them uh, to anybody that will listen, possibly more women. Um, and certainly, it's, it's, no, I'll own it for me. That's probably definitely more me. And I wonder what you do with your emotions. Do you stuff them down? Do you vent them? Do you, uh, do you kind of hold them all in and kind of they leak out in other ways? Men. Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but I think the Psalms give us a third way. And um, I think they, do, they say that we shouldn't be under aware of our emotions and we shouldn't bow to them either. I think that what, they, what they're doing is that they're give us, giving us an invitation that we can pray them. And I don't mean by praying them that you put them into sort of nice theologically manicured prayers that kind of sound a bit professional. It's not that at all, but it's literally pouring them out into the presence of God and processing them with him. So this is, this is kind of what David's doing here. And the, the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I get a bit confused about that because he wasn't that good a person. You know, he was an adulterer, he was a murderer, he was a bit weak at times, he wasn't really a very good dad at, at times. And yet God singles him out as one of his favourites. And I, I, that kind of makes me wonder what it was. What, it, what was it about David? And I think one of the main reasons is that he was able to express his emotions to God. He was able to be honest with his emotions and pour them out into, into God's presence. And then God was able to meet him. And so in this psalm, David is expressing the emotion of fear to God. 
And what's interesting is David, he's really got something to be afraid of here. He's literally got armies after him. And yet, where does he get to? Right in the middle of this psalm, verse 5, it says, I lie down and sleep. He goes to sleep. So what is going on? He's probably discovered a way of praying his fear so that he can handle anything. So if it can help him, I know, I know a lot of us have got troubles and bad circumstances going on, but we've probably not got armies after us. And so David did, and he was able to handle it. So there must be something in here for us. Let, um, what I want to do is kind of explain a bit about what was going on uh, at the time of, of David writing this psalm. And I, I don't know whether in your Bibles or on your phone, there's a heading to this psalm. Sometimes the, the psalms have little headings. And the one on this one is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So, little history lesson here. David had reigned for decades as one of the most powerful monarchs in the world. His military prowess was legendary. He'd extended the borders of Israel far, far beyond what was imaginable. He'd become amazingly wealthy. He lived in a palace. He had many wives, many servants. And then he committed adultery. He then murdered uh, Bathsheba's husband. And although David went on to, to repent when he was confronted, his, basically what happened was his sins set in motion a series of devastating consequences. And uh, a quick sort of overall, his, his oldest son, Amnon, raped his half-sister Tamar. Tamar's brother Absalom then took revenge by murdering Amnon. And then Absalom fl fled into exile for several years. But later he came back again. And then when he came back, David refused to see him for two years. And so the resentment built and Absalom kind of started gathering all the disgruntled people in the kingdom and just saying, I can be a better leader than my dad. So that's the kind of background. And Abraham, oh, sorry, Absalom staged a coup, basically. And the only thing that David could do at this point, you know, the only way that he could survive was to flee. And he, so he took all of his servants, all his children, and they, they just grabbed what they could and they went off into the wilderness. And David followed them weeping and he walked barefoot with his head covered with shame. And then to add insult to injury, there's a, there was a man named Shimei. I love that name, Shimei. Um, and he was from the family of David's predecessor, King Saul. And he basically just came out as David was walking along and he was throwing stones at him. He was cursing him. And he was just accusing him of being a worthless um, man who had brought about his own demise. So that's a bit of the background to, what, to, to, to where David was at when he's praying this psalm. So you can feel it, can't you? You can feel he's fearing for his life. He's... He's just got this incredible shame about what he's done and his grief over what he's lost. So let's look at the first couple of verses. And I think there's a couple of levels of fear here. Um, so David says, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. So you can see what David experiences in verse 1. He's literally saying, everyone's after me. He's being physically attacked. His, his physical presence is being uh, threatened. His life is under attack. 
And, um, and then in, but then in verse 2, I think there's something even deeper. He's saying, many are saying to me, there is no help for you in God. And they're not just attacking his body, but they're ide- attacking his identity and what God is uh, going to do for him. They're questioning God's heart for him. They're questioning um, his character, his calling. And you, you can read the whole backstory to this in, uh, I think it's 2 Samuel 15 to 18. And you can see they're almost saying, um, remember how King Saul did this. He did something wrong and then God took his presence from him and he abandoned him. And he's going to do the same to you. Look at the terrible things you've done, David. You forfeited the right to be king. So that's what's going on in verse 2. And, and, and so David's not only battling physical danger, He's also being psychologically and spiritually attacked and his whole identity is being under attack and under assault. And so you might say, well, so what? Um, I'm not the potentate of a nation and I'm not expecting to have a career move in that direction soon. So what do I need this for? It doesn't really apply to me today. Um, in the, in the middle of the 21st century, there was a lot of work done by philosophers and writers and on, on sort of fear and anxiety. And W.H. Auden, he apparently wrote a famous poem in 1947 and called this age the age of anxiety. And there's a lot of consensus that we generally suffer from more anxiety than our predecessors did. And I, I think I've noticed that as well. Even the last 10 years, I would say I, would, I have noticed more uh, dominance of anxiety in our, in our sort of day-to-day living, in people's issues that's going on. And I don't, know, have, I don't necessarily have an answer to why that is. But what, actually, this one thing did make me smile. Yesterday I saw this. Um, apparently these are the biggest fears of our generation. <laughs> <laughs> So that might be one of the reasons that anxiety has slightly gone up. Um, that one in the middle, oh, so irritating, isn't it? Um, so anyway, so D- David has got these two levels here. He's, being, he's not just being assaulted in his physical being, but he's being assaulted in his identity as well. And uh, therefore, he's down in the pit. And I don't know whether you've ever been down there. Anyone been down in the pit? And you feel maybe physically attacked, but just this kind of debilitating fear and anxiety that your identity is being attacked, that you don't know who you are anymore. So I have kind of gleaned a few little top tips from this passage about what David does to get himself out of that pit. I, I've got six things. And unfortunately, I haven't got any nice, neat acronyms or, or sort of points beginning with the same letter. I haven't got any like KKK like Steve had a couple of weeks ago. Um, they're, <laughs> they're a little bit clunky. Um, so I don't know how memorable they are, but hopefully you might want to take notes even. How about that for a, an idea? Um, so the first one is to shift your focus. And um, so in verse, in verse 3, it starts with two really important words. And I, I, I think whenever we're faced with difficult emotions, I'm scared or I'm depressed or I'm angry or I'm doubtful, um, whatever your feelings are, these first two words in verse 3 are really important. But you. We're, we're like a good but you, don't we? Um, 
and and I think it's it's about stopping ourselves and and trying to halt the the, the downward spiral sometimes. And so David's had this burst of everybody's against me, everybody's against me. I'm sinking. And he just manages to press pause. And he goes, but you. So the first, the very first thing is shift your focus. Shift your focus off your circumstances and onto God. It's literally pressing a pause button. However real your circumstances are, however life-threatening they are, literally just press pause and just shift your focus. Second one is keep going forward. Um, Verse 3, it says, but you are a shield around me. And apparently there are two kinds of shields. I'm not a shield expert, obviously, but I've uh, done a bit of reading this week. And um, there are two kinds of shields. The first one is, um, you know, when you get one of those little kind of round ones that you kind of stick on your arm and it's there to, <laughs> uh, to it's sort of in arm to arm combat. And so you, you wear it here and then you, you, you shield someone with a blow and then you, <laughs> you know, um, it's not that um, because that's not really around me, is it? And so there's another shield. And you may have seen it in films, and it's about the size of a door. I don't, could we, do we have the next slide? I love, I love the sandals on these guys. They're all matching. <laughs> um, okay, so this, this shield, you can see, you, can't, you can hardly almost see where you're going, but, but you're in formation, you're with other people, and it's wrapped around you. And uh, you only really have this kind of shield if you're following your general and you're going into battle. So you only really have this, you only really have need of this shield when you're going into danger. You're following your general into situations where you may get hot lava poured down on you or you may get 10 tons of boulders kind of chucked on you or arrows shot at you. So the very first thing that David says, he's like, I'm scared. I'm really scared. But I remember that you're a shield around me. And so what's he doing here? He's not saying, uh, I know you won't let bad things happen to me. He's not saying, I'm completely protected from danger. He's actually going into danger. And he says, I, I know that your protection only works when I'm going forward. And I know no matter how bad things are, somehow you're going to work into good everything that's going on. You're not going to shield me from danger. You're not going to shield me necessarily from pain or arrows, but you're going to shield me in them. But if you run, that shield is of no help when you're running in the opposite direction because your back's not covered. So it might look like a bit of a nightmare ahead, but at least you've got this shield wrapped around you. And the Bible says that obedience to God is sometimes really hard. And he will sometimes take you into places that are a bit confusing. You don't know quite why you got where you've got to. But the alternative is disobedience and the future doesn't look great with that one. Even, even Jesus, he was, he was really scared in the garden before he was crucified. He sa- it says that he was sweating blood. And apparently that was uh, it, it, what can happen under acute stress. I don't know whether they have any doctors, but some kind of, I can't remember the 
hema something. Um, and it's literally where blood vessels burst in your brain because you're under so much fear and so much stress. And so Jesus was really fearful. He was scared. So it's okay. It's okay to feel that fear. But he still set himself to go forward, even though he was feeling that. The call of his general was taking him right into a tomb. And it looked like it was going to be a dead end. And I, I just, I don't know whether there's people here today that are just like, God, you, you said this, you said go forward. There's a whole bunch of people from Hope Vineyard Church that have just planted in Oxford. And it, it might not seem like it's the, the, the wise move. You might have given up your job. You might have had to move house. You might have to move all sorts of things to do what God's called you to do. But what's the alternative? And I don't know, there might be people here that are just like, God, what are you saying? But I'm going to obey you. I'm going to go forward. So that's the second thing. Um, sh- so yes, keep going forward. Shift your focus and keep going forward. Even if you're afraid. Third one. This is my favorite. This is the thing that the phrase that's just been going round and round my head this week. And it's about relocating your glory. Um, Nice fancy, n- nice fancy phrase. If you if you don't remember anything else from this talk, try and remember this phrase: relocate your glory. The word glory here it means weight or significance. And probably what's going on here is that David's reminding himself that his glory and his significance is in God. And he's experienced this deeper level of fear. He's experienced this anxiety because the things that he's built his identity on, he's built this, you know, his emotional, psychological um, security on, they've all been taken away. So at one point, he would have been able to say, I'm a really popular king, or I'm a great father, or look at all the political power I've got. But none of that sticks anymore with him. So he's a man who's admitting something. He's saying... I'm filled with, with this fear because my moral record, my family's approval, my political power, they're all good things in, in and of themselves, but they're all gone. My security is gone. And the reason that I felt good and secure in my life was because I was a king or was because I had the approval of people. And I, I want to suggest that maybe if you're feeling that kind of deep, debilitating sense of anxiety... It could be that you've located your glory in something else other than God. It could be that you've lost a job or a role that you had. Or it could be that you're in a job and you're just scared of being caught out to be a fraud. That you're going to suddenly, it's all going to be exposed. And you have this anxiety that actually, who, who am I? Or maybe it is that you, you want something, you want a partner or you want a child and you, you just fixated your eyes on this. And your significance is tied up in that. So you don't feel significant because you don't have those things. So what happens when it isn't there? And it's a test to people that, that feel secure as well. It's like, where is my glory? Is it in my partner? Is it in my children? Is it in my job? Ask yourself that question. Where is your glory? Where is your, your significance, your sense of self? Because whenever we put our glory in something finite, it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable to everything. It's vulnerable to time and space and circumstances. All of those, those things that are finite and they're vulnerable. 
And I, 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 I don't know about you, but I really have to watch myself with this. I have to watch myself that my significance isn't in what I do. It's not in how popular I am leading the church or how many people come up to me and say, great, great sermon. You can still do that. But um, <laughs> it's, that's not where my significance is. It's not where my approval is. It's not where my significance is. I'm first and foremost a child of God. That's who I am. That's, who my, that's where my significance is. Uh, I, I think sometimes anxiety is a little bit like smoke. And if we follow the trail of it to the fire, the fire is often something that's become too important to us. So David's saying, I'm going to relocate my glory back to you. It's not their approval, it's your approval. It's your approval I'm living for. It's not their love, it's your love. And here's what happens. He then says this amazing statement. He says, you're the one who lifts up my head. And if you think about it, what does it mean to lift up your head? It kind of means you're standing tall, you're confident, you're proud. But this is what what it says here. You you lift up my head. So this is literally God lifting up your head. And I, I just think there's there's people here that need to know that God lifts up your head this morning. And just says you stand. You can stand tall. You can stand proud. You can stand knowing that you're loved. You can stand knowing that you're forgiven. Knowing that your shame has gone. Knowing that your identity is is in is in Him. And David's just saying, if I've got your approval and your honour, if I know you're proud of me, then I don't have to be afraid of anything. And this is just so important to know. I think it could potentially change everything. If you really knew how God, how God felt about you and how proud he was of you. He's completely removed the shame so you can stand tall. Okay, fourth one. Zooming through this. I cry aloud to the Lord. I've, I've touched on this already, but it's, it's just about being real with God. And David doesn't say he prayed a nice little prayer. He said, I cried aloud. And that sounds like a man being real with God. He, God knows what's going on anyway. So you might as well tell him. He longs to have that relationship with you. That's what he longs for more than anything. He doesn't want you to pretend. He wants to, you to pour out your anger, pour out your depression, pour out your hopelessness. So be real. That's the fourth one. Fifth one. This is a, a slightly more random. It's see the substitute. So what does that mean? So David says, I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy hill. Now, you might ask, what is his holy hill? So what David is referring to here, he almost remembers the tabernacle and the, uh, that's on Mount Zion that was built, that housed the Ark of the Covenant, that housed the presence of God. And it's where sacrifices were made and sins were forgiven. So he's remembering Oh, God is on his holy hill. His presence is there and he forgives me because of all the, the sacrifices that are made and the sins that were forgiven. And 
David realises that sins can be dealt with, that shame can go. And also, what he didn't realise is that he was part prophesying what was to come through Jesus. So we know even now, like, this, this has even more significance than it did for David at the time. So centuries later, darkness came onto Calvary Hill and Jesus died on the cross on that holy hill. He took all of our shame, all of our wrongdoing, and he gave us access to the Father. And so we see the substitute here for our shame and our fear. And we recognize how much he loves us and how much he's proud of us, that our sins are completely paid for. And the more that you recognize this again, the more that you'll be free from fear. You recognize the substitute that Jesus, Jesus died to take all of that from us. And the last one. There's one last thing. Remember the people. So it talks about, it talks about after those, those first five things, it then talks about he lies down in peace and he wakes again. And again, some of you might um, suffer from sleeplessness, from insomnia. But after doing those things, David was able to sleep. Even in the middle of that extreme fear, he was able to sleep. But it's almost not enough that he's got this inner peace now. He wants justice now for his people. He wants the people to be blessed. He knows that Absalom isn't going to be a good king for the people. He knows that that's not God's chosen king. And so he says, it's not just about me. I care about my people. Let's go. What about the others? I remember a while ago, a guy that used to be one of our small groups, he rang Steve up and said, um, Steve, I'm in a really bad way. I'm, I'm just about to commit suicide. And Steve, would, Steve just said, great. No, no sorry, not great. Um, <laughs> he didn't say that. He said, um, let <laughs> Pastor Steve, um, I love my phone. <laughs> He said, uh, let's meet up and chat. And he said, but I've, I've got to go to Healing on the Streets. I'm just about to go to Healing on the Streets. Why don't you come meet me at Healing on the Streets and then we'll chat straight afterwards. So he met him down there. He joined the Healing on the Streets team. So we run that every, every other week in, in Balham where we pray for anybody for anything. And so this guy came and joined the team and he, he started praying for people and he was listening to what they were saying and then he was praying for them. And at the end of the time, Steve and him then, then chatted, and he was just like, I, 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 I don't want to commit suicide anymore. He said, I've, I've listened to other people. It took, the, it took the focus off himself and onto others. And sometimes we just get caught up in our own little worlds, don't we? And it's one of the greatest things we can do is to start looking out for other people. So that's the, that's the final point, that the... The, the, the Bible says that the opposite of fear is love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear is, is basically its self-centeredness. And love is self-giving. So that's sort of the final point to help you get out of looking just at what's going on in yourself and looking, get your mind off yourself. So these are the six things. And I really want to encourage you to try doing some of these steps this week. Maybe as there's difficult emotions that come up. Maybe there's difficult things that you're processing. 
Just try doing these things. So first of all, press the pause button to shift, shift your focus from your circumstances and onto God. And then the second thing, keep going forward. Keep moving forward. Take the next step forward. And then relocate your glory. Just ask God, even now, just, just, spend, just spend maybe a, a, a minute just asking, where is my glory? Where is my significance? What am I putting my significance in? Is it my popularity? Is it my job? Is it my friends, my partner, my children? Just ask God, where is your glory? And then be real to God. Pour out. He just longs for us to pour out our emotions to him. And then see the substitute. Let Jesus just take your, your sin and your shame. And then the final one, just rem- remember others. Start taking your eyes off yourself and look outwards. We can, we can just take so much off us, I think, if we start looking outwards and take the eyes off ourselves. We're, we're going to celebrate communion in a minute. And uh, I think one of the things in this is, is just to take some time remembering the substitute, remembering what Jesus has done. That's what Jesus com- commands us to do when, when we take communion. And I, I think one of the things I want you to do more than, any, more than any other time is just to think, God, where is my glory? Where am I putting my significance in? And, that sh- and then shift that to Jesus.